0: You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 101 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is doing what Bob usually does, fixing tech issues, so he's not joining us today. Today we are coming to you from the booth at the Station Public Library in Holbrook, New York. And the Library Pros podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at Library Pros or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pros. Consider leaving a review or telling someone about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today we have Megan Volchko digital content librarian, public library collection development team at Overdrive. So, Megan is going to talk with us today about her role at Overdrive and collection development for public libraries and Libby. But first, let's get to know our guest. So, thank you so much Megan for coming on. And we're glad to, to be here. And we're really excited to have you here to talk about Overdrive and Libby and all the fun stuff that comes along with being part of Overdrive. We can't wait to talk to you about the digital collection and how it's curated for public libraries. But first, Tell you how, how you got started with Overdrive.
1: Uh, it's really as simple as I was looking for a new job and found something on job posting website is the short answer. Uh, the longer answer is I, I, I have my master's in library science from uh, Kent state as many of my fellow Northeastern Ohio librarians do. Um, and cause I'm, I'm in Cleveland, I'm located in Cleveland. And uh, when I graduated from library school. I ended up, even though all of my studies were in public librarianship, I made the mistake of graduating from library school in 2009, and there weren't a ton of jobs floating around then with that whole recession thing going on. Um, and so, uh, I ended up finding work in academic libraries. So I was I worked in academic libraries for several years before uh, deciding I really wanted to get back to. The collection development that one has in public libraries. I wanted to get back into the popular reading. I was tired of textbooks and uh, that I, and I wanted to get back into this and was just joyfully discovered that Overdrive was located in my backyard. Uh, and when they had some openings for some a collection development librarian position, I just applied and did the interview process. The rest of they say is history. And that was uh, over eight years ago now, which is just Crazy.
0: (laughs) I know, right? Isn't it crazy how quickly time flies now, right?
1: Yeah. It was like, it was yesterday or it was 2014, which apparently was eight plus years ago.
0: Yeah. It's insane. It's so crazy. Don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it must be exciting to be working for a company that is recognized worldwide for digital content and libraries. I know that our colleagues down in Australia and in Norway and in Europe and even down in in Africa – have access to overdrive content. And it's really an exciting time to be working in a medium that was only science fiction a few years ago, right?
1: Yeah, it's it is, you know, when I was in library school was when I was first exposed to ebooks f- from the library. And back then I had a nook because that was the only way that I had to plug into my desktop computer. Now it was uh, the dark real of the dark ages and like manually get everything onto my, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Also, there were very few publishers that played with Overdrive at the time. So I was reading pretty much just not the best and the brightest of the books out there but it is like it's it's really interesting to be in the library field and also in the tech field. And yeah, I I often like wrestle myself like do I work for a library company, a book company or do I work for a tech company? And we like to say we work for a book company, but I mean the tech is really it's how you access everything. So without the tech we wouldn't be the books, but it it is really really fun and it's a very library heavy organization and You know, we're just a bunch of people who really like nerding out on books and having new interesting ways for people to get their hands on them. So it's it's awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and being a fellow nerd working in a library, you know, people are like, oh, you must love to read. And, you know, confession to everybody listening, I don't read that much. You know, if it's anything, it's an audio book or something. But to do the tech things that I do here at my library – I feel is a blessing because you have to ask yourself, am I more of a library librarian or a librarian that embraces tech? So it just shows how much that the industry has changed.
1: Yeah, it is really just, there's such a wide range of offerings that you can give to your patrons and that, that they have access to now through the library space. It's definitely, it's not, it's not your grandmother's library. Well, yeah, like my library, my local library just opened a brand new makerspace and they now have a cosplay artist in residence That wow. through the makerspace, which I think is so cool, but certainly not something that would have been thought of several decades ago. Yeah. Also, like cosplay wasn't a thing, to be fair, but. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, like you said, you live in Ohio and we always love hearing from people from all over the United States and, frankly, around the world. So share with our listeners, because we have listeners from all over the world, what it's like to live in Ohio.
1: I live in Northeastern Ohio. So sports are king. Cleveland sports are a big deal. It is, you know, it's a, it's a place with four seasons. Uh, we're on Lake Erie, so there's, and, and a big river. We have a huge park system. So we're, we're really, we're very precious with our outdoor time and, um, and our love of all things fresh water um we do have beaches but they and they are freshwater um so it is a you know it's a pretty purplish place despite what you might see in the larger context of political spheres you're going to find a lot of different people that live here. And, and most of our state is uh, comprised of big cities and, but there are a lot of farms. So, and also every, most of the action is a diagonal line from Cleveland to Columbus, to Cincinnati that are all connected by one big super highway. Um, But yeah, it's a, I guess it's a, especially where I am, it's, I guess, dare I say normal, probably pretty similar to what you're seeing in uh, New York state in that. Well, and it's currently it's raining we don't get a lot of sun here. I think we get less sun than a lot of the places that are known for being not sunny. So if you are got, like, it's perfect reading weather right now, like this is a cozy up with a good ebook or an audio book that you have on a timer. Cause you're going to fall asleep and uh, just have your warm beverage of choice and just be ready to nestle in. It's so yeah, um living in Ohio, it's I've lived here my whole life. This is this is home. I've lived all over the state, but but northeastern Ohio is where I am.
0: (laughs) It really doesn't sound that much different than New York, so
1: no, it's not.
0: (laughs) I mean I can't say that we have you know, that many cloudy days, but uh it's it's gonna start raining later on today. We're getting what you' what's over there by you now. So
1: Yeah, we're on we're like I don't know, sixteen hours ahead. Fourteen. Some number of hours ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to speak with Megan about Overdrive, Libby, and what it's like to develop content on a digital platform. So we'll be right back. We are back here on the Library Pros Podcast with our guest, Megan Volchko, Volchko right?
1: Volchko, All yeah. Right, I got it. <laughs> All right, just so, lots of consonants, just boom. <laughs> okay,
0: so before we get into your role at Overdrive, can you give us a brief overview of the company and the services and the content they provide to LibraryLand?
1: Well, Overdrive has been in existence for over 30 years, actually, but in a very different form than what it is now. It kind of started with but it did start in digital books, but more like books on CD ROM <laughs> way back when. Um, and we did it started actually as legal books, uh, cause our CEO was an attorney and you know this was his his big idea to try to digitize books. Um, and as the technology has changed, he has changed and his wife actually is a librarian and she was the one who was like, Hey, maybe, you know, libraries would be interested in something like this. Um, so as the business adapted and grew, uh, it has become what it is now. Uh, we've been working with libraries for probably at this point, 15 plus years now in the, in what we have Currently, um, and we offer ebooks and audiobooks to libraries through the Libby app. We offer streaming video, like movies and television shows, through the Canopy app. And we offer ebooks and audiobooks to schools through the Sora app. Uh, so we have a lot of different ways for you to consume a lot of your different medias that you'd be getting from your library anyway through one of our three different Overdrive hosted apps. And we have libraries have the ability to purchase and curate their own content for their own communities um, using what we call Overdrive Marketplace. Um, And that's kind of how that's the hub of how they make Libby and Sora look how they look when you're when you're interacting with them on your phone or tablet. Or
0: desktop. (laughs) Yes, we're still doing desktop, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So collection development is such an essential part of libraries, as I can attest being a librarian, being in the field for a while. When it comes to the physical collection, usually librarians are assigned areas of nonfiction, depending on the library, and fictions divided between colleagues. Or maybe there's even one or two people who have a love for that genre that they're actually weeding, which sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. I would guess that it's fairly the same with digital collections, but tell us what your role is in this process and how it differs from managing a physical collection.
1: So it really is dependent on a library by library basis, but it is becoming more of that traditional role that you just described as more and more libraries are realizing that what was kind of a fad niche, fun thing to have 10 years ago is now an essential part of their collection. And more and more libraries are starting to look at their overdrive and their dig- their digital media collections not as like a fun little add-on, but it, almost an additional branch to your library. You have we have a bunch of libraries or thirty libraries last week that that had over a million checkouts <laughs> alone. Um, so you do want to make sure that you're getting the right books for your community and what people are going to read. Um, so we do have especially at some of our larger library systems where you do have multiple people in there purchasing you know making carts where especially um, for foreign languages and some areas that are going to be a little more uh niche and a little more difficult to suss out what's what's the good stuff that your patrons are actually going to want to read um so we have within yeah within marketplace as I already mentioned you can create logins for all of your different, people who want to be purchasing and just like you would with like Baker and Taylor or some of those others with your physical materials, you can go in, you can create your own lists and your own carts of what you want to be purchasing for your patrons. And you can even have your own additional budget sit for there. So if you have a fiction budget that's separate from your nonfiction budget, that's separate from your genre budget, you can easily do that all within Marketplace and make sure that your your accounting is as easy as possible. Um, I say with a giant dose of salt because nothing about money and numbers in it for, is easy for me. <laughs> uh, so what my team does of collection development libraries within Overdrive is we assist libraries with that purchasing Or we can we actually have people on my team who do have different areas of expertise that they like to focus on. And we actually make lists that one that libraries can shop from as well. So if it's a thing of like you don't really have a great sci fi selector, but, you know, you have people who are just gobbling up all your tour published things as fast as you can buy them, we have lists that we put together that you can shop from that you, we know it's good content that your patrons are going to want to read. So what my team of collection development librarians does is we kind of, we back up, especially those like some of those library systems that don't have the time or the wherewithal right now to be doing that kind of purchasing and to be doing that kind of collection development. We're there as a team of there's 11 of us now that work within the public libraries in us and Canada and we, uh, we do lots and lots of CD work for libraries all over the country. And we, we have teams that work internationally. I'm not on that, but we do have, yeah, we've got dozens of librarians here around the globe to help you out with that.
0: Isn't that amazing though? I find it, it so fascinating. So what I enjoy about Overdrive, the Overdrive product is with the new iteration of Libby and all the content you can get with an ebook or an e-audiobook or even a magazine, There's just so much there that's there to to be gotten. How do you curate these various materials and in their various formats to make the decision to add them or, in some sense, not add them?
1: Well, when it comes to that type of thing, we do encourage libraries to either extend their collection development policies, which they should have available, preferably publicly, for their patrons to see to their physical collection in addition to uh, and also just to understand that you know, pricing of ebooks and audiobooks is different than pricing of your physical materials. So when you're making those decisions, sometimes you might not be able to purchase as many copies of a book as you might want to just based on that. Um, but it's really, really important for you to know what your community wants to read and what they don't want to read. And we will certainly make you know, recommendations. We'll gladly discuss with you, like extending a CD policy or some kind of best practices. But when it comes down to that type of thing, we really do like to let the libraries decide what works best for them.
0: That really is kind of cool, too, because it, it allows you to really work with the library as opposed to just saying, here's the stuff, take it or leave it. So it really is great that you can, you know, work with libraries. I know here in Suffolk County, we have a coordinator through our system who then kind of helps with working with OverDrive to make that content available. And if there's a request, put that request through and then magically it appears most of the time. So that's really kind of cool, too.
1: Yeah. And that is something, too, that's like you know how you handle recommendations and things like that all of that it's you know it's it's not a one size fits all and i think that's what um like i really like you know that even if you're looking at libby if i and i have multiple library cards if i'm floating around between my different libraries it's different colors i'm seeing different curated collections i'm seeing all sorts of different things and so even though you know we're the facilitator you know we have the we house the app it really is something that your library does and that your library makes special, and it's really focused on your community. It
0: really is cool. So something we we're always curious about is the process. How does a book become an e-book or an e-audiobook? Is that something that the publisher decides, or is that something the publishers partner with Overdrive to accomplish? How does that actually happen? Because it used to be you got the book, you got the large print, and then you got your book on CD or cassette, if you want to go back that far.
1: So for the most part, it is the publishers that provide us with these materials. Which is why sometimes you got a book, but you don't have an ebook um, that it could be a case of like, and I know like there's a handful of like old token books on CD that they've never made available as audio because every now and then a library will get a patron who requests them. So it really is kind of at the publisher's behest because they're ultimately the people that own the rights. However, um, we do have a, a for, the format that one reads and listens to in Libby called Overdrive read and Overdrive listen because we were real creative with the naming there, uh, does convert like the EPub and mp3 files into uh, the Overdrive read and overdrive listen, which are ones that our team does our team does do that. Just all these things set up that ingest hundreds, thousands of books, and audiobooks a week, and makes them into something that will work um, within your browser and within the, the Libby app itself. It's really, yeah. It's again, that's stuff that all those ones and zeros make no sense to me. However, uh, again, on an individual library basis, if you do have like an an ebook or an audiobook that is something specific to your community, perhaps it was a local author who created something that they want to donate to your collection. And the library actually can upload what we call local content that allows for uh, you to take an ebook file or an audiobook file that you, the library does own the rights to, and uh, they can, they can use those and upload that to something that would be specific only to their library and only accessible to by their patrons. So I think that's also something that's really neat, our local content feature. So that allows libraries to kind of make their own audiobooks and own ebooks.
0: That really is cool. So what I like also about the Libby app is that it's cross platforms. You can access the content on a PC, on a Mac, on an Android device, on an Apple device, and you can even get it on uh, Kindle if that book is published for Kindle format. Now that's not the case. I remember a couple of years ago, not every book was also Kindle format. Has that kind of become a little more universal?
1: Most of them are. And the only thing with that is sometimes like we, there can be a little bit of a lag, a couple of day lag for us to get your new releases in Kindle. Um, And if you don't have a title that is in Kindle format that you want, you can have your librarians reach out to us and we will reach out to Amazon. And We've got a pretty good success rate of getting it added unless they don't want to for whatever reason. Um, but if you have a book that comes out that Tuesday and you get it on your hold shelf and you're all excited, it might. And it doesn't show Kindle wait a day or two. And this is just we're at the. You know, the behest of Amazon, um, but it really is nice. And I know you said, like, it's the same on every platform. And the people who really appreciate that are your library staff who's helping patrons use it. <laughs> so I know with the OverDrive app, we used to have, like, handouts for all the different things. And you had to know how to do it on all these different devices. So when we launched Libby at this point six, seven years ago now, Mm hmm that that we were like it's the same on every device and it was like yes it's the same on every device i only have to know one thing uh and that's just been a real boon
0: (laughs) and and as you're saying that uh, i'm nodding my head up and down like a bobblehead because it was always like okay you have an android tablet okay where's the instructions for android tablet oh you have an android smartphone okay your galaxy s3 oh, you have iPhone, but not iPad. Oh, okay. We'll get it. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then you're sending an email. We're out of instructions for Android tablet.
1: Yeah. get out the big binder, yeah. open it up, turn to the right device. Yeah. And our, our, we have really wonderful help sites and the people that put them together, them together have done a great job, but I know they also appreciate with like any little tweak that we do, they only have to make a change on one set of instructions. Instead of like, okay, what did this do? Yeah, what did this do for this device and this device and this device? And it's just ease of – it's a 1,000% better for ease of use for the library staff and for patrons.
0: And what the other thing that was great about the transition to Libby was that the OverDrive app, now that it's been put to bed, we can say it, was a bit cumbersome. Yes. Double logins and – Sometimes you get bounced out and all this other stuff. Look, it, it was a way to get the content. So nobody's complaining because it's now – it's it's awesome. But it was one of those things where, especially when you have your older patrons who maybe use their iPad just to read a book or listen to an audio book. And they said, my Overdrive app isn't working anymore. Well, they transitioned to Libby. And after you see them roll their eyes and go, I have to learn something new. And after you load it and you get it set up for them and they actually get into the Libby app, like, oh, wait, I just have to touch this. Oh, wait, that's my bookshelf. Oh, wait, I hit a magnifying glass and I can search the collection. It's like the last of the thunderstorm comes through and then behind it is that beautiful, bright, sunny day with the blue skies.
1: Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't get my own parents to use OverDrive until the Libby app came into existence. Like I, you know, as a young librarian, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And you're paying for it already with your tax dollars. And you guys love audiobooks. Give this a try. No, 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 no. And now I work there. No, 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 no. But I work. No, no. And then suddenly I was like, no, I'll try it now. It's easy. And yeah, and it's just... They now listen to like an audiobook or two a week when they're driving around doing whatever retired people do, and they love it. But yeah, it was just there. Like it's like I they pay my like I get a paycheck from them every other week, and you won't use it. Like if I can't sell this to my own parents, oh no.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so this next question is a general question, since I'm sure you're familiar with curating a physical collection from working in university. What are the biggest challenges in curating, especially in today's climate of people and groups attempting to challenge and ban books?
1: I mean, as always, my biggest challenge, not necessarily related to book banning and chat, is just like you, your eyes are bigger than your stomach, so to speak. Like you think of some really cool niche idea, like, oh, like, yeah, we're going to do like women in STEM or something. Yeah, and then you realize like we don't have enough books to make anything worthwhile. Um, so that you know, we we will often like you know just brainstorm some really cool ideas, and then you can't make that happen. Um, but I agree, it is a difficult time to be highlighting content, and one of the things that my team and that Overdrive is is really really values is, is inclusivity. And I think one of the most important things about the public library and all public spaces is that everyone needs to be able to see themselves represented within some book in your collection and they need to be able to get to it. Right. Like it's, it's all well and good to have all this content, like have diverse content. But if you're hiding it, if nobody knows it's there, it's useless other than it's something to put on a stat sheet that you send off to the state every year right to be like look we did this thing we checked the box are they getting any circulations no so like one of the things that you know that that we try to make sure that we do is when we're making lists and we're making and doing curation that we're trying to cast a wide net and that we try to put you know that we take the time to really dig in and make sure that we can have deeply representative collections and that you know if you are doing a STEM list that you make sure that you have women in there, so that you make sure you have authors of color in there, uh, that you make sure that you have that it's not just what you expect. And we have an enormous collection. And at this point, most libraries have had us for at least ten years, so they've got some pretty deep collections as well. And we can really get in there and find those kind of backlist titles, those those gems. And that's what that's what good curating is. Anyway, everybody knows that you need to be reading Spare. Everybody knows you need to be reading whatever thing James Patterson has put his name on this week. Uh, So but it's it's finding the other those other kind of under the radar books that's really important.
0: Yeah, of course. Definitely. In terms of and I'm sure it's even a challenge. I mean, you don't work on the international side of things, but I I always find it interesting when I'm speaking to colleagues all around the world. that They talk about this kind of thing, too. And I I would imagine it's a challenge because everybody's based in Ohio, right?
1: Uh, For the most part, yes, we are based in uh, on my team. We are based in Ohio. We do have people all over the world, Um, and
0: like in Australia, curating for people in Australia, and
1: we do not have we have people in Australia. Um, That do customer service and sales within Australia, but our person that works with Australia lives here in Cleveland. So most of our curating, and also she has to do some weird hours sometimes because they're 12 hours away. The international team, bless them, Um, but they are, you know, like they're, they are very focused and they try to know the communities as well as they can. And we also talk to our partners all the time, you know, that the libraries that I personally work with are based in uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Illinois. So being here in Ohio, they are rather similar to me in geographic location. And I know like, if it's cold here, it's probably cold there, but you know, something that when I'm thinking of like, okay, Australia, it's summer there. You know, I'm not gonna make like if I was to curate for them, I sure as heck wouldn't be like you know cozy reads. You know, this isn't gonna be a like you know, I'm not talking about sitting under a blanket and reading a book because it's hot. Uh, so I think what's really important is one of the things that we have with our you know actual people doing this work is that we can get that feedback and we can have those discussions. And if we do mess up, we can fix it. And we can also you know, say like, that was a gap in my knowledge. Thank you for letting me know. And in the future, we're going to do better. But yeah, it is, you know, being, being on the team that works with the U S and Canada and having us based here in Cleveland is it is a little helpful on that front, but we have one person on my team who only works with Canada because she got tired of having to switch back and forth with adding use and when is Thanksgiving <laughs> and you know, things like that, 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 you know, doesn't, it wouldn't cross my brain to just be like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm emailing somebody in Detroit, Michigan, they are speaking, they're, they're writing it the same way that I am. And their Thanksgiving's the same day as mine.
0: Yeah, so was some kind of challenge, huh?
1: Yeah, it is difficult. And luckily, one of the things that we're good at handling, but that I don't have to handle very often.
0: So taking a deeper dive into the Libby app, there's so many recommendations. If you scroll down from the homepage for Libby on the app, a lot of people don't do that. Sorry, Libby, overdrive. I know. (laughs) know, There are sections such as just added, chilling, chilly reads for a chilly night. Big bowl of cozy and, and so much more, which I find so like charming and shows that you were saying before you you pay attention to your audience. Are you involved in curating collections like that? Because we hope that the creative topics aren't going to be infiltrated by artificial intelligence or in algorithms. For, yeah,
1: for the most part, yes. Um, those are either done by the library themselves or my team of librarians that, that helps with that for libraries that either don't have the time or the capacity to do so. Um, so what you can do, you can just from scratch, you could wake up today and be like, I want books about rain because it's raining right now. I'm staring at my window rain like I want books that have rain in the title or umbrellas or whatever. And you can put together your own cute collection within Marketplace that will display with the name and subtitle that you've given it. Or my team also makes lists like that, so I could make a list of rainy day books. And on my end, I would make it an enormous list of rainy day books, uh, so that the all of our all our libraries would have to do is to click on this list that we publish on our OverDrive Resource Center, um, and they can click on that. They can open it up in our curate feature and it's automatically going to pull out the books that they have within that collection. So if I made this a list of 750 rainy day books and you've got 150, you've got yourself a nice collection there. Um, that hopefully some of those are, you know, most of those are available to be checked out, um, that they've got, uh, you've got something in there uh, that will appeal to you as a patron. However, if you keep scrolling and keep scrolling and keep scrolling, eventually you do hit a, well, you'll hit a wall eventually, but if you don't have a certain number of lists, we do have ones that are based on BISAC codes. However, the, Names for the list and the BISAC code associated with it is decided by our team. So it's not purely AI. You know, it'll just be like horsing around. And then we'll have a BISAC like juvenile fiction, animals, horses as a BISAC code that, you know, we've decided. And again, that's only going to pull titles that your library has. So for the most part, it is done either by your library staff or by your digital content librarians at OverDrive. And you might eventually get into some stuff, but I know I made big bowl of cozy, so I thought that was really funny that you you picked that up. It's a book. It's soups and stews and all sorts of that fun stuff. <laughs> but That's cool. yeah. That yeah. So um, I can tell you that they are uh, they they are for the most part ninety percent handmade.
0: Well, I have to tell you, this has been really eye-opening and really, really cool to talk about this kind of stuff because you don't hear from Libby as an individual. It's an app. It's, it's like trying to get somebody on the phone from Amazon or Facebook, right? Even yeah. though I'm sure <laughs> it's not like that for, for Libby Overdrive. But to actually, You're much
1: smaller than them. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. But it's, it's nice to actually hear what you do there and what happens there because, you know, for us, it's you open the app and then the stuff is just there. So it's really interesting to hear how this is really done, like listening to the man behind the green curtain kind of thing, you know? So yes. I, I thank you for that.
1: Libby the Great and Powerful.
0: Yeah, exactly. You got me. <laughs> I Can't tell you how many times I drop a reference and people are like, what is he talking about?
1: Yeah. No. And I would hope people, most people have at least heard of The Wizard of Oz. But yes, I, I also make that man behind the curtain reference a lot myself. So we are, we're on the same page. We're right
0: there. Perfect. <laughs> so we were really, really happy to have you on the podcast talking about Overdrive and Libby and all that good stuff. Because like I said before, it's kind of a mystery for, for most people in our in our profession. And quite frankly, probably the patrons as well, how that all works. So. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, we're going to be asking Megan our top 10 library questions or what we like to call the 032 list, which is a Dewey number for top 10 lists. And we always give thanks to my friend and the friend of the podcast, Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for helping us name the list of questions we ask our guests. So we'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Macon Volchko from Overdrive, who will be our next guest. pin in the 032 list. I know, I get so nervous when I read people's names. <laughs> oh, same, same. Yeah. So yeah. questions on our list are inspired by Literary Hub. It's a source for library news and stories and interviews related to library land. And you can see the work by visiting lithub.com. They do a great job educating and informing library professionals on topics from all over the world. So we like to always say thank you to Literary Hub. Okay, so are you ready? I am ready. Okay. First question. What did you want to be when you were a child?
1: Uh, I grew up in the eighties and I really wanted to be a scientist who cured AIDS. I feel like I need to put that. Like I grew up in the eighties thing. Cause I don't feel like kids today feel the like particular like panic that was around like with, with reason. Um, but I had no idea what AIDS was, but I knew it was bad and I wanted to cure it. Little did I know I can't science at all. So
0: <laughs> oh, I hear that,
1: you. that was my, that was my, you know, that was the stumbling block, but like, there's countless pictures of my parents still have me like drawn in, a, like drawing myself in a lab coat with a beaker. I wanted to cure AIDS.
0: As a former, <laughs> the fellow child of the eighties, I'm right there with you. And that's actually yeah. a pretty admirable thing. Cause
1: isn't it though? <laughs>
0: I just wanted to be a firefighter or a cop.
1: I, yeah. I had, you know, I had, I had lofty goals. And not that I'm, I like to think that maybe I'm helping out somebody who's going to cure something in, in a more indirect way. So I'm still putting a positive spin on the world, but certainly not to that extent.
0: Okay. So what's your, what was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time?
1: So I think it's, I already mentioned not your grandmother's library, but uh, my grandmother uh, worked the circulation desk in her local public library when I was growing up. Um, I actually have like her retirement plaque right off camera here, like off, uh, off screen. Um, so I, she, what, what was at the time Taylor Memorial public library and is now Cuyahoga Falls public library in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Um, and so she was the first person who brought me to the library and, it's hard for me to like really place that first particular memory, but I have a million memories of a kid at the library because we would go there. Like my grandpa would take us there when she was working or my parents or whatever. And my favorite thing used to be sitting in the book drop at the circ desk and like reach my hand out at people, <laughs> and being a real scam. The things that I don't think people would really put up with now, but they seemed to tolerate.
0: That's a very long yeah, years ago. That's, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So a chaos.
0: Yes, indeed. <laughs> so when did you decide to work in libraries? When did you have that moment when the when the, the clouds parted, the sun came down, and it, the, that wisdom was imparted upon you to, to say, I want to work in libraries?
1: Well, I was a page at Cuyahoga County Public Libraries here in Northeastern Ohio. So I had, like, and again, a lot of time in libraries. But it really was when I was in college and – coming up on the end of my English degree and realizing I have no idea what to do with this English degree that I have paid so much money for. And I was just, you know, chatting with my family and kind of just came to that conclusion that this might be something for me. And like, I can still remember like opening the letter with my acceptance um, to grads and just like knowing like, oh yeah, this was the right choice. Just that feeling of like, oh, this is going to be exciting. Like this is my life now. Yeah. It was just, a, it was a slow process,
0: but. It's never a quick one for this profession and everybody's usually doing a second thing or something like that. So yeah. So who's your favorite fictional librarian?
1: I've been thinking about this a lot and I have to say Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say Giles, nor will I be the last person to say Giles. Yes. But uh yeah, I am an elder millennial. So gotta, gotta say Giles, because even though I never actually really saw him do much with books, he was still a librarian and he kicked butt and took names.
0: <laughs> so what would you be doing if you weren't working as a librarian?
1: Are we talking like high in the sky here, or what would I actually Why not? be doing? I would love to sing in a cover band that does like weddings and bar mitzvahs and like all of that stuff. That is like my dream gig wow. to be a wedding singer,
0: a wedding singer.
1: Yeah, I love performing, but I don't have enough musical talent to write my own stuff. I know my limitations, but like, I think that would be really fun to, to do that. And probably not something people have said before
0: That's on your... That's a new one. <laughs> That's totally a new one. So it, what is your favorite section of the library? And originally we meant like, you know, fiction, nonfiction, horror, but it could mean anything. It could mean makerspace if you have a cafe. It could be the bathroom. It could be anything.
1: Uh, well, I just have a brand new... my My library just literally had its grand opening three weeks ago. Uh, But the space I'm spending the most time in right now is the kids section because I have an almost four year old. But my favorite, like, section, what I where I is romance that is my jam. I love Mia happily ever after. And I just love how accepting and and open this space has become over the last few years and just romance landia. So I am going to check out our new maker space that we just opened. So I've I've walked by it a couple of times. The big machines scare my small person. So we haven't been in.
0: You got to let me know how that goes since I, that's what I do here. So
1: we'll do. We'll do like we have a basement just like chock full of heavy machinery. My husband's into woodworking. So like I literally half like my basement is half saws. So I don't know why the makerspace frightens her any more than it would to go downstairs where we have things that are in just so much more dangerous than what we have in the makerspace.
0: <laughs> so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your local library?
1: More poetry. I've, uh, I have a, like a friend who has been kind of reintroducing me to poetry and I think it really like for me almost it's a form of self-care and and therapy and I think that like and I would love for us to like for my local library to have maybe like a poet in residence in addition you know that I think that it's a really nice way for people to express themselves and that there's rarely a moment in your life that you cannot find reflected back to you in a perfect poem And I don't think that that many libraries and I understand budgets are what they are and they're probably not going to get better anytime soon. Um, But I would just love more poetry because I think it is a perfect expression of the human experience in a time when we need more of that.
0: Sounds like you need to curate a poetry list.
1: I do need to curate a poetry list. But then there's the problem. People need to actually have the poetry for me to show it. So back to that. Hi, in this guy, and we just other like Amanda Gorman got a lot of people to buy poetry a couple of years ago, so that was a good thing, but we just need more poems and more poets.
0: love it. so what do you speaking of love love about libraries in general?
1: I just love how they are such open and inclusive spaces, and that with very like very, very few exceptions of something horribly egregious happening, like no one's turned away everyone is home in the library. I go to mine every single week with my toddler so we can run around and she can make me all sorts of crazy things in the play space. And that nobody blinks an eye when she's tap dancing in the middle of an aisle and that that it, they're just, they're such gathering spaces and really in addition to obviously being places of, knowledge and literature that they are also just a place for everyone to find a at home is a little too big (laughs) but just a a place everyone can find a place to rest a place to be
0: a welcoming place right
1: yes yes all are welcome
0: okay so this is one of my favorite questions i don't know how well this is going to work with working at overdrive but we all have these stories right What's the weirdest thing? And we're not talking worst thing, but maybe the weirdest thing that's happened to you in your library career.
1: Um, I've been thinking on this one, too, because I'm having to go back. Right. Like I did. I uh, I had I obviously I did a practicum in public libraries. I uh, paged in public libraries and then had a long time in the academic space where honestly not that much weird happened. Um, and you have to, of course, make sure you're not getting into the NSF for W like NSFW stuff with the weird things. But I think like the weirdest oddest that was the, um, the day that we had to close early the library, I was doing a practicum at because the, there was a huge snowstorm and the roof caved in Wow! just like, and what's, what's fun though about this is that it was right over the AV section. However... Nothing was ruined other than DVD cases because we kept all of our DVDs behind the counter like a blockbuster because we honestly like they they had a tendency to walk off and grow legs and just dance out the door. So it was a thing where like, yeah, and for like for a week or so, we operated with a giant hole in the roof. And it was just one of those, like, well, you know, you got to be open. So, you just, you know, put a tarp over top of it. And until it could get fixed, like, there was just a hole in the ceiling over the AV department and a giant trash can to catch whatever residual water. And that we had to, you know, redo all of the the cases. But, like, honestly, like, uh, it was not, it was, like, the best case scenario other than it happening over just a straight, like, Open space it was just one of those, like, oh, well, because we've had issues with theft in the past, we didn't lose any DVDs. How about that? Now that <laughs> it was just one of those, like, that's a, a really random little thing. And then, of course, lots of really weird stories that are kind of gross. So we're not going to go there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all have them. Mm-hmm. But who would ever think the blockbuster model actually came in handy? <laughs>
1: It did. I mean, it was a pain in the butt when you had somebody inevitably who walked up with, like, a bunch, and then a bunch of people behind them in line. But it did come in handy in that one particular instance. And thank you for knowing what the Blockbuster model is.
0: Oh, heck yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, Again, don't know how this is going to fit. You may have to reach way back. Who do you have as a favorite regular patron? Like, back in the day, or maybe you have a particular library you want to give a shout out to say so
1: yeah, i do have like favorite regular i'm going to talk about my one of my favorite regular partner right now because that's how we refer to the librarians that we work with internally we call them partners which sound it's like patron the both start with a p um i work with a whole bunch of absolutely wonderful people as mentioned like all over i work with um ali Kutka. i'm assuming i don't know how to branson has lane or Kuchka, it could be. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I realize I've never t- like referred to her by her last name in person. And she works for Kent District Library. So hi, Allie, if you're listening. Um, but I make her a cart every Monday of New York Times bestsellers that they don't have in their collection. And it's always kind of one of the first tasks that I do. And we always tell each other how our weekends were. And it's just really nice to have that like personal. So in addition to like the transactional nature of like, hello, I made you, you know, you're missing these six books. Here you go. Purchase at your leisure. I also am like, this is what I did over the weekend. Sometimes we send each other pictures. Uh, I was growing a watermelon plant over the summer, and I sent her like progress pictures of my watermelon until something ate it. And we both mourned over that, or at least (laughs) she did a good job of pretending that. And she also sends me back things. So it's just really nice to have, you know, in addition to the here's a thing that I did and her saying, thank you. We also have... Have this nice rapport that's above and beyond what either of us needs to be doing. So she has warmed her way into my heart that way, but I have so many librarians that I've worked with over the years who I could say amazing things about also. So Allie at KDL. Hi, I'm sorry. I mispronounced your last name.
0: Probably Now you have to tell her because when it's down? I you, do you have to listen.
1: Yes. And we're going to have to, that's a talk we'll need to have. I can tell her to, on Monday because it's Friday now. So I will make sure that I include that in my Monday update I to
0: her. Love it. <laughs> and our final question What are people without library cards missing out on? Other than Libby? Other than <laughs> Libby. Ah, yes. Yeah, so Don't forget about Canopy. And
1: Canopy. Um, they are missing out on so many things. Um, I, I checked out for my child, a book bag full of Melissa and Doug pizza toys and a phone and a a little fake phone and an apron that was in a book bag that she absolutely must bring home. Not that we don't have 4 million toys. And of course it has 4,000 tiny things. And I'm just like, great, we're going to lose all this stuff. Uh, but I think that people don't know that you can get Cake pans. Uh, one of the things that I really love, and that I recommend, if you've got like a you know a car trip, pre- preferably to put in, in state or in your area coming up, but you can get uh, you can get Wi Fi router. You know, you can get a Wi Fi space. Um, that there's all these things that you're missing out of, and just even other databases, you know, other services. If you like LinkedIn learning and things like that. You want to know more, you want to improve yourself. You know, you want the great courses. You can get those from your library. Um, There are just, it's a a myriad of things and you work in a maker space, you know, you want to, you have like, it's the holidays coming up and you want to get a Yeti and have some, your something CNC'd on there. Like easy peasy, go to your library. You know, there's so many things out there that along with just, the people themselves librarians for the most part are pretty friendly bunch that just want to help people, you know? So you're missing out on, and also you're, you're already paying for it. It's your tax dollars at work. Take advantage of it. You're leaving money on the table.
0: Like I always (laughs) say, we're the only government agency that doesn't try to take something from you.
1: No, we're like aggressively trying to give you things. Yeah. And, and like, no one, yeah, like it's like, look, we we have all these things and they're wonderful. Please, come t- 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 take them from us. Take the things. We want you to take the things. I love that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a special place, that's for sure. It really is. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You were a great guest. It was so much fun to talk to you, and you're even up on a rainy day. I am. I
1: am. With like my child napping in the next room, so it's really extra hard.
0: Well, that's a small to do this in and of itself.
1: Yes, and she's still asleep. She managed to stay asleep this entire time.
0: Look at that! Exactly. Yes. So, <laughs> but really, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate your time.
1: All right, thank you for having me. It was great being here.
0: We have come to the end of another episode of the Library Pros. And we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at thelibrarypros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachin Public Library, the M.S. Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.